lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also find uh, samples of this show that you can share with others at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And don't forget, never been a better time to subscribe to Blaze TV than right now. It's the most important time probably ever to be a subscriber here. But then it's also the cheapest as well. $5 and change a month for a year. That's all it will cost. They take $30 off the cost of an annual subscription right now when you go to blazetv.com slash Dace promo code Steve. That's blazetv.com slash Dace promo code Steve. Because yes, we do make a lot of content here at the Blaze available to the general public, but there's a lot of exclusive content here as well. blazetv.com slash Dace promo code Steve. All right, coming up here at the bottom of the hour, Dave Rubin. One of our uh, peers here at Blaze TV. He'll be joining us next hour, Theology Thursday, as well as three non-political questions. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were locked down. What happened while we were locked down brought to you by All But Exonerated. The case of former General Michael Flynn took a turn yesterday. Flynn was President Trump's initial pick for national security advisor until he was indicted by the feds for lying to them during an investigation into his contacts with the Russians a few years ago. Flynn supporters have long held that he was framed by corrupt agents in the FBI, Turns out this was true. Amongst a vast trove of documents related to the Flynn court case, which were unsealed yesterday, were handwritten notes from investigators about their goals for interviewing Flynn. In one case, a handwritten note said, quote, what is our goal? Truth or admission or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired, end quote. Today we're looking at 15 Things You Didn't Know About Banana Republic. In other news, the World Health Organization yesterday applauded Sweden as a model for how the coronavirus should be handled going forward. Sweden is the best-known country for not locking their entire population in their homes and instead attempting to achieve herd immunity by letting its citizens live their lives. President Trump, your thoughts? Despite reports to the contrary, Sweden is paying heavily for its decision not to to lockdown. As of today, 2,462 people have died there, a much higher number than their neighboring countries of Norway, Finland, or Denmark. The United States made the correct decision. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, President Fauci is dead. Long live President Fauci. Newsweek headline, has the lack of women at the top helped cripple America's response to the pandemic? Another 3.8 million people filed for unemployment last week, bringing the total over the last six weeks over 30 million jobless claims. In Wisconsin, police showed up at a mother's door and accosted her for letting her kids play with their friends. Are you aware that we're in a stay-at-home order right now? Uh, yeah, obviously. By the government? Yes, of I Wisconsin. am aware. Okay, you're aware of that? I am aware. So I don't need to explain that to you? No, you don't need to explain okay, that to I me. Okay, I can if you need me to. 
Go, you can, you can, because your officer was just here two weeks ago. Okay, do you need me to And he explained it, no? it to me that you guys weren't enforcing that order. Oh, we're about to. Okay. So you understand it, though? Okay, so why are you here? Because your daughter is going to play at other people's home and you're allowing it to happen. In Dallas, Texas, police accosted a salon owner for not complying with that area's stay-at-home orders by opening up her business. You can be sued and you can be prosecuted. California Governor Gavin Newsom is announcing he'll be closing all beaches and state parks in California. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is letting his state's businesses open on Monday. What is our biggest obstacle? Fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear sparked by constant doom and gloom and hysteria that has permeated our culture for the last six weeks. For example... We've seen a sudden drop in the number of people who are seeking medical care for heart problems and stroke symptoms. Not because these common ailments have all of a sudden disappeared, but because people are terrified of going to the hospital because of the coronavirus. In other news, House Democratic Caucus Chairman Hakeem Jeffries, along with the Washington Post editorial board, called on presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden to address claims from former staffer Tara Reid that he sexually assaulted her. Even Chris Hayes of MSNBC called out Biden. There have been moments, I think for many of us, all of us, when we have heard about accusations against someone that we find ourselves desperately wanting not to believe. Whether that is because we have some personal admiration for the individual or their work or political admiration, someone on our quote unquote side. But part of the difficult lesson of the Me Too era is not that every accusation is true and everything should be believed on its face, but that you do have to fight yourself when you feel that impulse. You have to do that in order to take seriously what is being alleged and what the evidence is and to evaluate it. And finally, every COVID-19 commercial is exactly the same. When we first opened our doors. Since 1926. Since 1978. For 60 years. For 75 years. For over 80 years. In 90 years. Over 100 years. Nationwide has been on your side. Take care of people. We're people. 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 People and family. You can count on us. And we'll get through this. Together. 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 And that's what happened while we were away. I hate all of that. Yeah. I hate all that. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like somebody in government just gave him a talking point sheet just to read off of this and handed it to every advertising organization in the country. You know what I'm saying? It's worse. It's that guy up yeah. on your book. Yeah, it could very well be. Uh, Jonathan Turley, renowned constitutional uh, attorney. Quote, I've been a criminal defense attorney for decades. He just tweeted this about a half an hour ago. After reviewing the uh, the docu-dump that came out last night as it related to General Flynn. Quote, I have been a criminal defense attorney for decades. I have seen abusive tactics. However, this is one of the most thuggish records I have seen. Most concerning is that they were trying to create a crime, not investigating a crime. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the latest in this General Flynn story in the overtime today. BlazeTV.com slash Dace promo code Steve. And you may see me break. Uh, if that's not enough of an incentive to get you to subscribe, it's the most important time. It's the cheapest time. This this conversation may break me, and I will 
I will explain why in the overtime later today for our Blaze TV subscribers. But let's get to the rest of the news that uh, that was in Aaron's rundown. And can you permit me for just a second to pretend it's old times again? And let's just, let's, there's plenty of coronavirus breaking news we have to address, but just for a couple of minutes, will you indulge me just a pure, a pure political play? I'll, just, I'll allow it. Just if, if for no other reason, just to, yeah, it's like when your favorite restaurant, one of your favorite restaurants, the deli I love here in town has reopened and it's still not the same as going in there and, and, you know, having them put the exact ingredients in person that you want. But the fact that you can get, you can go there and get curbside pickup. Just, it's a little step in the direction of a return to normalcy. It's, sure. it, it's comforting for me to drive down 50th street here in town and see the sign Palmer's deli. We're open. Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. And, and so just a little political aside kind of has that feel to it in a way. Right. Agreed. Okay. What you're watching right now is operation replacement. And it is in full, it's in full operation now. It has been green lit, green lit. And Joe Biden's not going to be their nominee. I don't see how it is possible for him to have good answers to the questions that Tara Reid is asking. That doesn't mean he's guilty of what she is accusing him of. But I, I don't know given some of the specificity that she's already offered, the corroboration she's already offered, meaning, you know, this isn't asking Christine Blasey Ford, so you this happened to you, you drove home, you never told your parents or anything, right? I mean, I mean, her mom's calling in on a national network. Um, other neighbors are coming forward to say, hey, she told us about this 25 years ago when it happened. Um, I, I don't know how you defend yourself against that because any, you know, the police are going to have a very difficult time. I know she went to them uh, yesterday. They said it's not currently an active case, but they didn't clarify exactly what that meant. I don't know how they would investigate it though, beyond a pure counterclaim because there's, you're not going to have anything forensic or anything I would imagine at this point. Um, but you know what I mean? The way I see this, I, I don't see I don't see his way out of this. I don't. I, I don't know what because she's ahead of the corroboration game already. She's she's passed an initial threshold of credibility here. I mean, this is even more than Juanita Broderick doing one interview on NBC TV. And while she came across very credible in that interview, I remember watching it at the time, and had specifics. Beyond just that was, we, we kind of know what kind of dude Bill Clinton was. We didn't really have any other corroboration, not, not the extent to which we have here. And when I say corroboration, not to her claim, but to her credibility, that's, that's different. Meaning there has been nothing that has come forward to say this woman isn't a credible person. That doesn't mean that her claim is credible. Those two things need to be separated. All right. But but the first threshold in any such accusation is the credibility of the accuser, unless you've got something like the hor horrible story that happened a few years ago where the young woman was uh, uh, claimed that she had been raped by a star member of I think it was the Stanford swim team or something like that. And he had denied it and everything else. And then they ultimately had 
the the surveillance footage from yeah. out back that this had occurred, right? Yeah. Okay. So unless you have something like that, then it always comes down to what is the base credibility of the accuser. She has passed that threshold. There's she, she there's too many things that support her that I don't see how you can discredit her. That doesn't mean she can prove her claim though, but now you're in this murky area. Right? This isn't another Gloria Allred drive-by special. She's still on her own. Um, you know, her mom, you watch the clip when her mom calls on CNN. Well, she really respects this guy. She's not kind of sure what to do. I, I don't know how you discredit her whole cloth. I, I don't. Unless they've got some something that she had electric shock treatments a year or two before this allegedly happened or something of that magnitude. I, I don't know how they would discredit her. Can you think of a way of how to discredit her? Well, not, specific, not her claim, but her. No, well, not specifically. I don't know enough, but here's one thing I do know, and it's why I, I do think he has a way out. The, the press, even though what we saw notwithstanding, when and if they decide to go back to business as usual, they're up for the challenge, Steve. Well, I think the challenge they're up for is replacing him. That's what I think the challenge. I think yeah, the skids are being greased for they, that. There's a long way till November. Do they have the appetite for this long term? Because what's the alternative? They need an alternative. And oh. look at, we, we, we would. Somebody who's not, I, I mean, um, you know, doesn't have dementia. But that's what, that's my, we thought that for how many months before coronavirus? Remember the, yeah. I, you, you're right. Okay. But you're also, the crazy voices in your head. I'm, also listening, need I'm to, listening to them right now. They're the, uh, they're the reason Joe Biden, the people that are questioning him right now, New York Times running corrections. Hey, we didn't exonerate you. Don't be saying that. You're talking points. Washington Post, you need to come forward and answer this. This could be MSNBC. Over- they're the ones that that put him where he's at. But they're could, the ones that necromancered yeah, him. But they resurrected a, him. This all could be a rope and dope too. I. It could be. It, I don't think that it is though, because the door because they've opened a door that is very difficult to close. But it has to go to a real flesh and blood human being. And who is that? But that there's a they have a, they have options. Somebody doesn't have dementia. Somebody doesn't fall asleep on national before, television. And they think, still got rid of yeah. all those options. Do you think if they if they found out that Tara Tara Reid uh, dated a Republican for uh, uh, a month back in 2001, do you think that they would use that as a ah, she's she's uh, I think, she's here's compromised? What I, think. I think they've already looked at the stuff that that, that you're talking about. And I think that if 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 there was any of that kind of stuff already, we, would we wouldn't be at this that. point right now. Because okay. when Christine Blasey Ford came forward, and I can't remember if it was shortly before or shortly after they they hired that high powered law firm. Remember, we had stories, and that was one of the first things besides the whole allegation that was like, this is not what it that what they're making out to do, to be. It was that she scrubbed her entire social media history. Right. Things like that. We're, right. we're not really hearing stories about right. that. Right. That her attorneys had been activists or something along yeah. those lines, yep. if I recall right. Now, I, I think that we would have not gotten to this point. Um, remember, they already, remember the New York Times already did this expose on her allegations. Remember, okay? If there could have been a way to say she's some kind of plant or if they had that information. Now, it, maybe it, maybe that's true, but I promise you they have, they have already tried finding that and haven't been unable to. And now they're left with having to deal with the credibility of her as a person. And 
the reality is they don't have to bring this up. No one's focused on this story right now. I mean, it, 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 other than conservative media is. But even, even within conservative media, this is a secondary story because all of our audiences, right and left, are focused on this virus and it's, our threat. it's the threat that it is to our way of life. They don't have to do this. They don't. So why do it right now? A Friday news dump? No, oh, I think it's because they're going to replace the nominee. That, that's what I think. Having, a, having one of the highest members of your House caucus who's black, and that's Joe Biden's core constituency group in this last primary cycle, I think they're going to replace them. I think they're greasing the skids for that. I think they recognize they can't run this. And that and that that performance with Hillary Clinton the other day with the economic intercourse and falling asleep, they they understand if see, they gave him a month. They gave him a month to rest up. Is it old age or is it or is it illness? Those are two different things, right? Like if you've got a if you got an aging athlete and they get a chance at some rest, don't, you don't have to put him through. You saw this when Brett Favre would come back. You don't have to put him through the rigors of a training camp and he's out there in 100 degree heat and two, day, two a days and everything else. But you just let him just go play. And then he doesn't, he doesn't have to throw 40 passes a game like he did 10 years ago for the Packers. Right now you just need him to be really good with like 20 passes because the rest of the team around him is pretty good. You can, you, he can sustain you and you can sustain him. That can be a symbiotic relationship. That's just you're getting older, right? The skill set and stuff is still there. You're just not as quick as you used to be on the draw, right? He's, he's had a month where he hasn't had to campaign, do any rallies, do any events, rest up. And because you get a, get a sliver of hope if you're a Democrat with that debate against Bernie Sanders. He looked comparative to how he had looked the entire time. He looked pretty sharp in that event. So like, all right, maybe the guy's just it's the rigors of a campaign. He just kind of wore down the longer this went on. And this is going to be a shorter campaign season this year because of the virus. So you just hunker down in your bunker there, Joe. And, you know, we'll take it from here. But the stuff that he's displaying with that extra rest rest without having to come up with something new and fresh to say and do and to be every day. And he's now what you're seeing now is not age. You're seeing an illness. He has dementia. It's pretty obvious. I, I really believe it. So I, I believe they're replacing him. And this is the beginning of this. This is the kind of transition we saw when just out of absolutely nowhere, they made the decision. Bernie Sanders cannot be the nominee. And in a span of 72 hours, Joe Biden was uh, with no act, literally no act of his own other than he was breathing. There was no other act he committed. None. He didn't campaign in Massachusetts or many of these states that he won. Minnesota didn't can't, can't, had never didn't even appear in a couple of them. In 72 hours, they just flipped the switch and said, all right, can't be Bernie. We gave everybody else a chance to coalesce people. We can't have it. So you're the last option we have. Bernie destroys us all the way down ballot. That can't happen. Switch flipped. I think you're watching a switch get flipped right now. I, I, I don't know. I mean, because they're also attacking the way Joe Biden has defended himself against this. They're rebuking his own talking points and everything else. Um, I mean, the stuff that's out there right now where the founder of Me Too is like, well, I think Joe Biden can be held accountable while I vote for him for president. I mean, that stuff just kills you politically. It absolutely annihilates you. And that's why I think just as a switch was flipped 72 hours before Super Tuesday, almost two months ago, I think a switch has been flipped right now. I'll give you the last word, Todd. Go ahead. But before we switch like, to coronavirus. Bernie's just not going to watch that switch get flipped. To somebody that may else. Be true. That may so be there, true. that's another problem that's in there. And the fact that we, we, none of us, uh, I, I mean, 
you initially at the very beginning t- talked about what you thought about Biden and mm-hmm. why he is likelihood, but you you quickly switched and like the, and saw early on dementia, unfit, nobody likes him, mm-hmm. not going to happen. We all believe that, yet they chose him. Anyways, that's the kind of thing that gives me more reason why okay. they have to go all in so hard on this Tara Reid thing. Uh, do they, is the that very sustainable? Least, I know I said to give you the last word, so but because you brought up a valid no, point, okay. At the very least, what they're what they're doing is creating a potential strategic blender. Yeah, because they're opening a door he he probably cannot close, given the age his own age mm-hmm. and the age of the allegation. Like he can never. I, I, that that's why I, I started with she's passed an initial credibility test. He probably can't do anything at this point that just crushes her allegation. Not that I can envision. Maybe someone else can, but I can't think of it. He can only hope that you just forget about it and it goes away. But so by them dredging this up and perpetuating this story, and you know, they notice that they are they're bringing this story into their jet stream. Okay, and they don't have to right now. They've got plenty of other news right now. That and, and hardly anybody that would ever consider voting for Joe Biden would notice that they had forgotten about this. They're making a conscious choice to do this. So, it, so if it's not a replacement, it's it, it's potentially a strategic blunder that could reverberate well into well in, well through to November because you're 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 you've mainstreamed an allegation now that will be very very difficult for Joe Biden to just completely deny and and not or not deny completely defeat. Thoughts on that? I I know that's why the press is so important on this, and they've got to sustain this more than just a, a, a couple days during coronavirus when a lot of people have no idea what a Chris Hayes is. You're right, but the reason why if they don't do that, this is strategic blunder. You just gave Brad Parscale and the Trump campaign uh, all every ad they want this fall to essentially get out of any allegation in charge by just pointing out the double standard here. Hey, you, we, you guys were the ones that questioned Joe Biden, and then you don't answer the questions and you let them off the hook. Why would why should we believe what you're saying about us right now? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So th- 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 this whole conversation's a loser for everybody, unless it's with the intent of replacing him. The whole conversation's a loser because I don't I don't see how you discredit her. That doesn't mean she's know. perfect. That doesn't mean, but but I'm telling you folks, they would have already looked deeply to connect her as some kind of Republican plant before they ever let it get to this point. I promise you that's the case. That doesn't mean she's not. It just means they at the very least hit it so well that she passed, she passed initial inspection. They would have made her do that before we got to this point. Let's get to what's going on with whatever that was the president tweeted this morning. First of all, two days ago, a bunch of our peers here in conservative media went to bat for the president against a stupid question using uh, total death numbers. What was the question? Hey, more Americans have now died from this than died in Vietnam. Do you think a president that had more Americans die on his watch than died in Vietnam deserves reelection or was something like that, right? Okay. And- and so much of conservative media rightly came out and defended the president against an unfair question that was also stupid, by the way. Okay, uh, LBJ ordered those soldiers to go to that war that risked their lives. Uh, he did not directly order you to be exposed uh, to coronavirus. All right, it's just it's just not morally equivalent. 
But after rejecting this num this the, the premise that total deaths are a thing, and pushing back, how much of conservative media has been pushing back on all these liberal media headlines on more deaths now than China? U.S. leads the world in deaths. Deaths, right? Okay. I mean, how much pushback have we seen on our side against this? The president comes out this morning and and justifies the total death number. He literally just says to Democrats, "You bet, pin the total death number on me. It's fair game." It's fair game that I had that 60,000 Americans have now died. It's fair game. Go ahead and pin that on me. Without any context for population, Sweden has at a minimum, minimum, twice the population of every other Nordic country, by the way. The closest Nordic country in population to them has half of their population. So it's, it's just not, that's why I didn't compare Sweden to Norway, all right? I compared it to Michigan because they have almost the exact same population and very similar demographics. And we did our study of Sweden per capita. Sweden is ahead of England and France and testing deaths, hospitalizations. Okay. Uh, I, it's just, it's, it's a, it, it's a dumb political tactic. We were just talking about the dumbness of if this isn't a plan, if, if, if you guys haven't flipped the switch, like you did super Tuesday, you just opened up a year long question into the credibility of Joe Biden. Then that he, he probably can't answer the president just returned the favor to some, to some extent and just simply said, you're right. It's okay to tag me with the overall deaths meme. It's just dumb. And it stems from, um, there's, there's a reoccurring pattern with Donald Trump. He doesn't allow you distinctions. Trump derangement syndrome is a thing, just like Bush derangement syndrome was a thing. Palin derangement syndrome was a thing, right? Okay. Um, this, this thing, this, this, is a, this strain is worse than those, but it's not a new virus, politically speaking. He feeds it, though. He feeds it because he demands in many respects that Everything he does is, is, is to be commended and, and, and described as divine. Everything he says and does, no matter how dumb it is. And he makes it really hard to support him and go all in for him. He goes out there and undercuts your own talking point. Now, the good thing with Donald Trump is his enemies, may, he, he, while he makes it much harder than it ever should be to support him and to vote for him, his enemies make it far easier <laughs> at the exact same time. I mean, you were saying a minute ago, who are they going to go to as an alternative? Yeah. I mean, Gavin Newsom certainly looks the part, right? Well, here's two headlines in California today. We can test everybody for free right on the spot, and you can't go anywhere. We're shutting all your beaches down. If you can test everybody, I, I thought that wasn't the qualification for opening back up. We can test everybody, right? Yes. Wasn't that, wasn't that the, the new reset? So we need the new shifting ground. That was the new standard. The new goalpost. The yes. new goalpost was the new goalpost shift was if you can, the more, if we can test everybody, we can go back. All right. California announcing it in Los Angeles County where there's a lot of what beaches. Um, we can test everybody right now, but you can't go. Once we test you and you're negative, you still can't go and do anything. I don't know how you, I, I mean, that's not a successful message. I mean, and he'll, he's already facing protests already. He's going to face more, you know, um, <laughs> which is why right now today I am, when I saw what he pulled today, I, I am as frustrated with him as I have been from a policy standpoint, his entire presidency. 
and I am still more prepared to go and vote for him than I probably have been at any point oh. in his entire presidency at the exact <laughs> Preach. Time. Preach. That's where I was last week. I mean, you are you have no this is an island. I get I just got done watching Lost again. We we are we are on Lost Island and there's whispers yes. and monsters and polar bears and nothing makes sense. I mean, you know you, what a real give democratic me some terra party, firma. A, a real a real. You want some terra firma? A real democratic party would say, "Mr. President, today we had over th- we 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 crossed the threshold of 30 million unemployed." And you're out there condemning Sweden that they didn't destroy their economy and way of life over, you know what the death number in Sweden is to their whole population? 0.02%. A real democratic party would say, look at all these working people that you cost them their jobs and now, and their kids couldn't go to school. Their kids couldn't have graduation. Their kids couldn't have prom. And you, and you, and, 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 and you think the fact that Sweden didn't do those things over a 0.02% statistical anomaly makes you a, a better manager than what Sweden has done. And is it, it yeah. this is why we've been trying to tell you to be more like Sweden America for the last 20 years, right? Yes. Is that not what a real Democratic Party would do? And yeah. said, here's what our Democratic Party did. We can test everybody in California now, but you still can't go anywhere. See, that's what that's, our Democratic Party did. And that did. ties beautifully into what we were just talking about before. I don't mean to revisit it, but that's just my psychology on this. Everything you said about Biden make, being replaced makes sense, which is why I don't trust it. <laughs> Now, that's an analysis that I can't differ with. I can't argue with that. I can't. All right, we're to come back. Dave Rubin's going to join us. Can two people with some very distinct worldview differences find some common ground? We will find out here next. Well, we have interviewed a lot of authors on this show over the years, but I am not sure I've interviewed anybody who has a book endorsed simultaneously by the likes of Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, and Tucker Carlson. That's, you know, you'd think those three with some variations and distinctions would largely run in the same circles, right? Sure. And then Larry King. One of these things, not like the other. Not so much. Yeah. That, that, that is an eclectic array of endorsements. But the book and the author we're going to talk to and about right now has collected it. It's called Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason. And it's written by Dave Rubin, one of our peers here at Blaze TV. He joins us now here on the Steve Day Show. Dave, it's a pleasure to have you with us for the first time. How are you? Steve, it's good to be finally with you. You know, I have to add one thing in there. There is a little uh, diversity that is true on the back of the book. But you forgot one other guy that I don't know how he fits into this equation, which is Eckhart Tolle, the author of The Power of Now. Yes. You know, it's mostly this is mostly inner peace and, you know, mindful meditation and really, you know, becoming one with the universe. Yeah, that's how he got on a cover with Ben Shapiro. He's like Oprah's like uh, uh, Svengali, right? Yeah. Right. The secret and all that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. So So, this is an eclectic mix, to say the least. What is fascinating to me about the premise of your book, and I think the premise of the conversation we're about to have, is not too long ago, given some of the existential worldview differences you and I have, this would have been a vastly different conversation. Mm-hmm. But the subtitle that you just put in there, this is where even people who may approach some of these existential uh, issues from a different premise, as you and I do, 
your frustration thinking for yourself in an age of unreason. I got a I got a text day from a good friend of mine, very wealthy, lives out in Hawaii. He's retired. He did his tour of duty and he's just living off his wealth now, right? And he's like, I'm so grateful for shows like yours and platforms like The Blaze where we can get like real objective analysis. And I said to him, I said, brother, the toughest part of my job is coming up with objective information to analyze. Oh, yeah. Knowing what's even worthy of analyzing, what's not both right and left, frankly, what is not a narrative versus counter narrative, what is not a, um, you know, a proxy for some elected official and you're their stenographer, et cetera, right? And I sense this sort of tension and frustration and that in, I, in some respects, you remind me of what's happened with James Woods, an old school liberal who saw oh, yeah. the American left become not liberal, but leftist, meaning there's a difference in doing and making letting people do things that maybe in the past we said were dumb or immoral. And there's a difference between now you're going to force them to do and think those kinds of things. And I sense a similar tension where you're concerned. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I mean, you categorize the difference between a liberal and a leftist quite well. You know, the word liberal, unfortunately, has just been been mangled uh, pretty pretty heavily. Our our friend Stephen Crowder, I whenever I go on his show, I always give him crap because he'll talk about the liberals, and I'll say. Crowder, you know, you don't really mean the liberals, you mean the leftists, because it's important to understand that what is thought of as modern liberalism is progressivism, is in effect really now socialism, it's collectivism. Uh, by that I mean they group people based on immutable characteristics. So of course, black people must all think something. And who are the scariest of all people? Well, it's those white Christian men. And gay people must all think one thing. And, you know, this person must think one thing. All based on immutable characteristics, which is actually, it's quite anti-human more than anything else, because I don't judge anyone other by anything other than their thoughts. That's actually, their thoughts and their actions, I should say. That That's really what being a human is all about. Um, so there is a massive difference between a leftist and a liberal. When I say liberal and when I talk about classical liberalism, which I know is not, purely the political ideology that you subscribe to, mm -hmm. or even Glenn or most of my my counterparts on The Blaze where I'm, I'm thrilled to to be distributing on my show on The Blaze. I mean, truly, it's like we've, we've figured out how to do something that's actually intellectually diverse in a time when that's really not that, uh, that lauded. Um, but when I say liberal, what I'm talking about is an old school liberal, more of a JFK liberal. I mean, look, JFK, what's the, what's the phrase that everyone attaches to JFK? Ask not what the country can do for you, ask what you can do for the country. Now that is a 180 reverse of what Bernie Sanders says. Imagine Bernie Sanders or any of the new socialists, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Omar, the rest of them, imagine them walking on stage and saying that. They would be hung right then and there because it's the reverse of what they say. What they say is, what can the government do for you? It doesn't matter that we can't pay for it and none of it really makes any sense and it's all sort of been proven wrong and all of these policies have just led to a series of other horrific things and a bunch of cascading other problems that we couldn't see. But that is the difference between a lefty and a liberal. So when, again, when I say liberal, I'm talking about JFK, I'm talking about uh, Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who's long gone from my, my home state in New York, who was the senator when I mm -hmm. grew up. I'm talking about Mayor Ed Koch from New York, who was the mayor of the most diverse city in the world and was there for everybody, regardless of those characteristics. Um, but to really to your point about how now we can sit down and, and have these discussions, it's like, I know for sure, Steve, we've, we've got some differences on these issues. And I know that some of the conservatives are going to be annoyed at me over some things. And obviously the lefties are going to be annoyed at me over a whole bunch of things. But even in the in the portion that I write about abortion, the last sentence of the of the portion is now that you all hate me, let's move on. 
And I think that that, in essence, is what America is supposed to be. We are supposed to think for ourselves and try to reason through things. We're supposed to actually embrace the fact that my neighbor might think, think and behave in ways which I don't think and behave. And guess what? As long as he doesn't do it on my property or come for my rights, it's A-OK. So that really is why I'm so enthused about what's happening on the right right now, because I do see conservatives, libertarians, old school liberals, all kind of coming together going, all right, let's agree to disagree. Let's debate abortion. Let's debate death penalty. Let's debate all the big issues. Let's, where's the tax rate at? Let's talk about all this stuff, immigration, all of it. Uh, while on the left, they're basically saying, you got to believe these 10 things or you're out. And that puts someone like me in a in an odd position, but one that actually is quite okay. I think you're seeing, I mean, there's so many examples. You mentioned Daniel Patrick Moynihan. The, the phrase, the dumbing down of America has often been associated with the American right. He actually coined that phrase to challenge what the welfare state was doing to the nuclear family and the public education uh, systems in urban America. Okay, I mean, Jack Kemp, frankly, just plagiarized, lifted much of what he attempted to do from the right in reaching out to minority communities was a lot of what Daniel Patrick Moynihan was warning about from the left, which he would Mm -hmm. be cancel cultured today if he was in office today. I mean, look what happened to Jeff Goldblum yesterday. Jeff Goldblum comes out and says, I I don't really want to live in an Islamic culture because they're anti-gay and anti-woman. And uh, supposedly those are the two two of the most cherished constituency groups of the American left. And they tried to cancel Jeff Goldblum yesterday. So this kind of goes to um, every day there are examples of the dynamic that you're talking about, which is this, this diversity that is really conformity. And I think it, I think a lot of it, Dave stems from, a lack of, I think political correctness was created so that I don't have to risk ever losing an argument to you. If you have a different view than me, you're, you're subhuman. You're a racist, misogynist, xenophobic, homophobe. Therefore, you're beneath contempt. Bigots don't deserve rights. And, and you have a viewpoint that should not even be heard. And I can never lose an argument that I'm never forced to have. I, I'm far more interested in letting the lion out of its cage. If, 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 if my arguments don't hold up scrutiny, if the differences I have in opinion with somebody like you, for example, if, if I can't defend what I believe against somebody like you, I probably believe the wrong thing. The other side is far more interested in this, in this debate in, in not diversity, but conformity, which is why often when you turn on the Tolerance Boulevard, it's a one-way street. Well, when they talk about diversity, what they're saying is we're for groups, right? We're for black people. We're for women. We're for gay people. Now, if you're not really thinking about it, that all sort of makes sense at first look. It's like, well, I'm for black people. I want black people to live and flourish and be treated equally and the rest of it. I'm for gay people. I want them to live and flourish and be treated equally. Women, same thing. So it all kind of sounds good. But then what, you, what you're what you actually doing there is quite bigoted because you're saying I'm for black people. But then what they really mean is I'm for black people who behave the way I want them to behave. I'm for gays who behave the way I want them to behave. So the examples that I can give you very quickly, it's like, well, they say I'm for black people, but they're not for Candace Owens. They're not for Thomas Sowell. They're not for Larry Elder. They're not for David Webb or the litany of other black libertarians or conservatives. What they're saying is I'm for black people like Al Sharpton and everyone who believes in that thing. Then then they're a good black person and those other people must be cast out. The same thing goes for the gays. It's like, well, all right, I'm for gay people. Now that kind of sounds right. You want people to be treated fairly and equally. 
But it's like they're not for Rick Grinnell, who was our ambassador to Germany, who's now the acting head of uh, of intelligence, uh, who's happened who happens to be gay. They're not for Peter Thiel, uh, who endorsed Donald Trump, the libertarian from Silicon Valley. Uh, and and even with women, it's like, well, we're for women. Well, everyone's for women. I, everyone wants women to be treated equally. I don't know anyone in America, really, that doesn't want women to have equal law, uh, equal equality under the law. Uh, but they're not for Nikki Haley. They're not for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They're not for the litany of other right-leaning women out there. So what they're doing is they're giving you some bumper sticker stuff that if you don't really think about it, kind of sounds good. And that's what the left really has perfected. You know, So something like minimum wage, I find to be like the really easiest one to talk about. Because what they'll say is Bernie will come out and say $15 minimum wage. I want everyone to have a, li a living wage. And that sounds nice. That sounds good. Now, first off, Bernie's never run anything, right? Bernie's never run a company. I, I am more of a businessman than Bernie Sanders has ever been. I have a small business here. It's highly profitable. We have no debt. We treat our people well. And I'm doing the best I can. Now, I don't think the government, certainly the federal government, has any right to tell me how much to pay my employees. I actually pay them quite well. We just gave people bonuses in the midst of corona because they're working really hard for me. We just hired a new associate producer, but the government doesn't have a right to tell me I have to pay them this, this, or this. But what happens on the left is because they don't really believe in individual rights, they don't believe that we should all be treated equal. There's, no, there's sort of no basis for what they believe other than they feel it's kind of right. So why does Bernie pick $15 as opposed to 14 or 18 or anything else? It's like he just kind of feels that's the right number. So Bernie says 15, and then what happens? Well, two weeks later, Rashida Tlaib, one of the squad, she says no 20, and it's like, well, that, I guess that's kind of right, right? Like tw that's 20 is better than 15. And then what do you do? You then turn on the other people and then they're racists and bigots for not doing what you want. So the left, because they're not connected to anything anymore, where the right, doesn't mean the right always does this perfectly, but the right, people that are you know Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, basically believe in the Constitution and individual rights. On the left, they basically believe in government. So what you get stuck with is always out-governmenting yourself. So it's like, hey, I made up $15, I sound moral, and the next guy comes, I, I made up 20, and then somebody's gonna come along and say 50, and then how about the next step is we're gonna just give everybody five grand a month. So there's a disconnect between what actually works and just saying stuff that kind of sounds good. I've got about three minutes left. I, I would be fascinated, and I think my audience would be too, if if you could share, is, has there been, was there a galvanizing or a tipping point moment for you where, where your thoughts, your thought process began to transition on some of these issues? Yeah, so I mentioned three of my wake-up moments in the book, um, and as you may have seen, the the dedication in the book is to Ben Affleck, although I've never met Ben Affleck, but you know Ben Affleck on Real Time with Bill Maher that I'm sure you're aware of when mm -hmm. he sat there with Sam Harris, and Affleck called the two of them gross and racist while they did nothing of the sort or were nothing of the sort. That was one of my moments, but the one that I'll tell you, uh, because I think your audience will will find this one particularly interesting, and I really go into go into it in the book, I was at the Young Turks at the time, far left progressive network, and they were showing a clip of David Webb on Fox News. I'm sure you know who David mm -hmm. Webb is. He's a conservative commentator who happens to be black. Now I'm watching this and he's giving some conservative talking points and all of my tolerant liberal co-hosts are calling him an Uncle Tom and a racist and a self-hating black man and the, the worst things that you could ever call anybody. Mm. What they didn't what they didn't know was that years before working at the Young Turks, I had a show on Sirius XM. And I was a big lefty at the time, but I met David in the hallway one day, we struck up a friendship and I used to go on his show all the time and I would debate from the left and he would debate from the right and then we'd go downstairs to the steakhouse 
uh, below Sirius XM and we'd have steaks and whiskey and, and became good friends and we are good friends now. So here I am watching a guy that I know who believes in what he talks about, who forthrightly is fighting for the things he believes in. And here I see the tolerant liberals seeing a black man who doesn't behave the way they want him to, and now he's the worst thing in the world. And at that moment, it's one of the three wake-ups that I talk about, I saw what this new pernicious racism of the left is, and it is racism, and I think we should call it that. You know, we only think racism is, oh, I don't want that group of people using water fountains or something really obvious, which no one is for. But the new pernicious racism is what the left is pushing at us all the time. If you are black, you must think this. You're gay, you must think this. It is so deeply dangerous because it's insidious. It's not overt. It comes from the bottom and it sort of seems right. And, and that is why the subtitle of the book is called Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason, because you gotta start thinking about these issues and not just accepting because mainstream forces these ideas down your throat that they're true. Don't Burn This Book is the name of the book and the subtitle, Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason. Dave Rubin, the author, one of our contemporaries here at Blaze TV. It's a pleasure to have you with us, Dave, and uh, let's do this again sometime. All right, take care. Steve, if, if we ever get out of lockdown, I would be happy to do this in real life. I don't know that that's ever going to happen, but... We'll try. It's coming. It's coming soon. Yeah. It's in the. It's in the. At least, it's, at least for you guys in Texas. What, I'm in California. I'm. I'm assured it's two weeks away. <laughs> yeah, it's I've, always two weeks. I've away. been assured it's been two weeks away many times. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. You bet. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts on that conversation? Uh, I was very much in trust but verify mode with him uh, at the beginning, and I, I trust. I, and it's because you have to be whenever anybody from a non-traditional constituency says that they are they're starting to evolve to where your viewpoint simply because we've just seen people that that in the past that turned out to be frauds. You kind of have to be. And I know at fundamental levels we are in disagreement about things, mm -hmm. but he is in my life, in my circles, out and about social circles with uh, uh, particularly soccer parents, track parents, things like that. I have a lot of very good friends that are just like him and we are able to have these level of discourse and then go out and have stakes and it's beautiful and i cherish those relationships so i'm grateful for what he adds to the conversation just from that point of view showing the love of the fellow man who doesn't for the because they are created in the image of likeness of god just like me yes and i <laughs> The very beginning of that interview where he's delineating between what a liberal and a leftist is, guys, that's the basis of how we, not, not, the, not the basis, but that's one of the main tenets it's one of, of our what we do yeah. uh, on this show. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the three-dimensional thinking. It's, it, it, it has elements of that. And so, you know, that was about a two-minute version of, of how we view the world, especially in this culture right now. And you know who uh, he reminds me of in just a little bit? Uh, of a way, that's Andrew Doyle, the the creator of Titania McGrath. He, yeah. he kind of reminds me yep. of that as well, where yep. it's like we don't agree on a whole lot of things, but you we have know, a what? shared love of BS or Ex share hatred of BS. <laughs> exactly. I mean. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, we'll be back with hour number two. Theology Thursdays coming your way next. Stay tuned. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Ann Aaron McIntyre. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the show. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter 
at Steve Dace Show, and that's D-E-A-C-E. And if you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample or share, just go to the, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Three non-political questions coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Please don't forget if you do listen to the podcast version, thank you. Leave us a five-star review if you like the show, if you haven't done so already. The more of those we get, the more pleased both the mucky mucks here at the blaze and the algorithms that uh, govern our lives these days, the more pleased everybody is and the more likely we get to continue to do this show for you, the people. Thank you again to all of you that have done this already. If you haven't yet done so, what are you waiting for? I think we've earned it. If I, if I do say so myself, right? Theology Thursday brought to you by Rough Greens Vita Smart. Did you know that your dry dog food is made to have a two to three year shelf life? That means they need to sterilize the food before they make it so that it can be fresh and prepared for mass consumption, which means a lot of the things that your dog needs out of its food the most, the healthy microbacteria, the vitamins, nutrients, etc., is not there. Same thing does happen with our food. That's why we're taking so many supplements these days. Uh, they want it for mass consumption as well. And therefore, a lot of the things we need the most from our foods are not there. That's why things like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's, where they where they 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 don't do that kind of processing, those things are becoming more and more popular these days. Well, your, your dog needs that supplement as well. And that's where Rough Greens VitaSmart comes in. It is not a new food for your dog, but it makes your dog's current food that it already likes even better because it puts all those living organisms back into your dog's food to help make sure it's thriving to its highest potential. If you want to give Rough Greens VitaSmart a try, apparently it tastes great too because it's uh, one of the ways that we get our dog Cap to eat his food. He loves this stuff, all right? So roughgreens.com slash blaze is the website. Rough Greens is spelled R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. And you can take their 14-day jumpstart challenge for your pet right now for just $14.95 roughgreens.com slash blaze r-u-f-f for roughgreens.com slash blaze let's get to theology thursday this week and continue on with the series that we started earlier this year based on a new testament course my wife and i are taking over at our church and each week we've got to write uh, part of this class, it's a, it's like a freshman level over New Testament 101. If you were in a seminary, kind of a class, um, and you can even take this for seminary credit if you wanted to go to seminary later. And part of this class is each week we've got to write something about what the reading and study portion of that of that week was, and it's an essay question. And we're given options, or we're given the option to write something individually. And this week, um, we were reading uh, from uh, the book of Hebrews, which is one of my favorite books of the entire New Testament. And it's a fascinating book in that we're not entirely sure who wrote it. Well, we're not entirely humanly sure who wrote it. It is written very much like a Pauline epistle with one glaring exception. In every Pauline epistle, he starts off by saying, it's me, Paul. <laughs> All right. So the rest of this reads like what we've seen from Paul. You remember last year we did that study through the book of Colossians, through the entire and, and which kind of introduces in theology what we call a Christology or or who Christ really is. And Colossians kind of introduces this notion, and the book of Hebrews spells it out all the more. 
Um, and so it, there's a lot of common themes there. If you read Colossians and Hebrews, you would see some common themes. If you read Hebrews and all of the New Testament books, you would see common themes. We just, it, that's why it's always, one of the most popular theories is that Paul is the writer. Well, Steve, if we don't know who wrote this book, then why is it in the Bible? Because, you know, Protestants and Catholics have some disagreements over which books are in the canon and which aren't. All right? You've heard maybe the term apocrypha in the past. There's actually different apocryphas. All right? So uh, there's one apocrypha that just means um, books you would find in a Catholic Bible that you would not find in a Protestant Bible. But Protestants don't really debate the theological merits of those books. They just aren't sure about the authenticity or the authorship, and that's why they're not included in a Protestant Bible. Meaning they don't necessarily find them like, you know, heretical. Okay, there's just a disagreement over authenticity and authorship, and that's why they weren't included in a Protestant canon. So why does that show up here? Well, there's no question about the authenticity. And we've got manuscripts and everything else going back into the first well into the first century of the book of Hebrews. So there's not a question of the authenticity. The question is strictly of the authorship. And therefore, there's only one objection. But the but the theology that is taught in the book lines up with everything else that is canon at the exact same time. That would be why. I guess what I just tried to tell you is don't take your lessons on textual criticism from Dan Brown. <laughs> All right. Um, if you want to be a skeptic, be a better one than that because his arguments are very easy to refute because they're all bad. So be a better skeptic. I think that's fair. Don't you think that's fair? Yes. If you want to be a skeptic, be a better skeptic. The other apocrypha is different. Okay, so um, you can go to some bookstores. Well, you could. You can't now. Uh, but you could go to some bookstores in the past and will be in the not too distant future. And in some states, 25 to 50% of you can go there now. <laughs> all right. And you can buy a book literally called the Apocrypha at a lot of these places. And in, and in here, you're going to see things like um, the Gospel of Thomas. And where, you know, uh, Jesus as a child gets bullied and frustrated and he kills a bird with his bare hands and then brings it back to life. These are often fantastical tales that um, were, were never, the authenticity was never ever been confirmed. The theology was clearly heretical. That's a different apocrypha than the debate Catholics and Protestants have about an, an extra few books of the Bible, okay? I mean, there's some crazy stuff in that other apocrypha. And that other apocrypha, literally says that uh, that Adam's first wife that God made him was actually Lilith. And Lilith was kind of a proto-feminist who rebelled against God um, because um, she was only permitted to satisfy Adam's sexual urges in one particular way. And she wanted more um, say, I guess. I mean, it's just weird, Okay. And, and this is often the apocrypha that gets discussed like on the History Channel, <laughs> right? Not the differences that Catholics and Protestants have, but the difference that Christians and pagans have about which books should be in the Bible. That's a totally different apocrypha, okay? Um, but we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. The most popular theory is that Paul did write it and just for whatever reason didn't put his name on it. Another popular theory is that um, one of his apostles, basically his disciples, and Apollos uh, wrote it heavily influenced by Pauline thinking um, and wanted it to have more credibility and thought if he didn't put his name on it, people would think Paul wrote it. I mean, there's a lot of different theories about, what, about who wrote the book. But what's not a debate, if you read it, 
is how in line it is with the rest of, of biblical orthodoxy. And it, and like a lot of it is an attempt to be inspirational. Right. If you read like, I think it's Hebrews 11 or Hebrews 12, the large cloud of witnesses, a lot of it is meant to encourage believers to finish the race basically. So out of the book of Hebrews, I, I didn't, I chose to answer, um, not a specific question, but to raise a specific point. Because I think it ties into what's happening in our culture today. And this is one of the times, I haven't done this with every one of these answers, but this is one of the times that I chose to answer this in a specific way so that I could address it on this show at the same time. The other time, most of the other questions, I just chose to answer them and then thought, we'll just talk about that on the air. This one I chose strategically because I wanted to talk about it on the air. All right. So the, the book of Hebrews, I just told you, it consists of or includes one of the most uh, profound and thorough Christologies in the New Testament. And it talks about the superiority of Christ. Now, this is referred to and described by the author, by the author to specifically refer to Christ being superior to the pre to the to the audience's pre messianic understanding of Judaism. Hebrews means it was written, written to, the, the, these titles often referred to the audiences that they were written to, okay? So Colossians was written to an audience of Christians at Colossae, all right? Corinthians was written to an audience of Christians in Corinth, right? Okay, Rome, Romans was written to an audience of Christians in Rome. Therefore, Hebrews was written to which kinds of Christians? Hebrew Christians. It was written specifically to them. Doesn't mean there's not universal transcendent truth here, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But the audience, it's, you know, text without context, you've heard me say this before, it's just pretext. It's important to know what the author meant. Not what you think he means, but what the author meant. And then you determine the meaning from there. So this is written specifically to Hebrew Christians. Um, and as I've told you before, before Paul begins taking the gospel to the Gentile or the non-Jewish world, that's what that word means, right? The non-Jewish world. Before Paul starts taking the gospel to the non-Jewish world, this is an exclusively Jewish argument. You've heard me talk about mm -hmm. that before. And, and it's an exclusively Jewish argument about whether this man from Nazareth is the son of David, is the anointed one, is the Christ, is the Messiah. That's the debate. That's the whole debate. And the broader theological issues really don't come into play externally into Christianity until we go into the, the pagan world. And now they have a, they don't believe Jehovah is the one true God. They've got, you know, pantheons and everything else. And so there's different challenges to Christianity that have to be answered there. But the challenge that's got to be answered within the Jewish community first is, is really singular. It just happens to be the stickiest point of the whole conversation, okay? So the writer of Hebrews is wants to make the point that the superiority of Christ is not just to other religions, but also to their pre-Messianic understanding of Judaism. That's because Christ was not meant to replace the distinctiveness of their Jewishness. Right? We, in the book of Acts, as they begin going into the pagan world, there's a big debate that's the first enclave of Christianity really is the council of Jerusalem. And the whole debate is, Hey, we're going to all these pagan peoples. 
and we're all Jews who believe Jesus is the Messiah. These people aren't, do they need to eat like us, follow our dietary laws? Do we have to circumcise them? And then who's, who's going to, which one of the deacons wants that duty if we think we do? Okay. I mean, that, that's just, that, they, they were debating this question about how it relates to the pagan world. Does the pagan world have to become Jewish in order to worship the Jewish Messiah? But first, they argued this amongst, is he the Jewish Messiah? That's the argument they had amongst themselves. All right? And so the writer of Hebrews is pointing out that the superior, superiority of Christ is not meant to replace their, the distinctive, distinctiveness of their Jewishness. So like at the Council of Jerusalem to the pagans, they were told, you don't have to pick up Jewish customs to worship the Jewish Messiah. You just have to f- follow the law. The moral law, okay? Mm-hmm. You have to be obedient to that, all right? This debate is from the other direction now. Well, have I, am I giving up being Jewish by following Jesus? And the writer of Hebrews says that is not the case. Jesus is not, in his view, is not a repudiation of the distinctive, distinctiveness of your Jewishness. Because the, the distinctiveness within Judaism is, is a main trademark. They were to be a holy people, set apart, peculiar, different from the whole rest of the world. So distinctiveness is inherent. They were striving for it. They're not, they're not striving for a melting pot of, of, of synergistic uh, pablum. The distinctiveness here is vital to the integrity of Judaism. And so now, you know, I believe Jesus the Messiah, members of my family don't. That was one problem I had, but now we're going to all these pagan people and we're letting them in. And now I'm being told I've given up on my birthright and my customs and uh, a lot of confusion here, right? And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, Jesus is not the replacement of the distinctiveness of your Jewishness. He is the fulfillment of it. The reason it is no longer, he says, it is no longer necessary to revert to ritualistic practice such as animal sacrifice for the remission of your sins is not because you don't need remission of your sins. That's not why. But because something better is here now. When something is superior to something, that doesn't mean the inferior is bad, necessarily. Right? If you and I debated, for example, the Michael Jordan documentary, that's all the rage right now. Okay? Is Michael Jordan a superior basketball player to Magic Johnson? Yes. Yes. So Magic Johnson is inferior to Michael Jordan as a player, right? Yes. But does that mean Magic Johnson is not a great player? No. Does that mean he's not an all-time Hall of Fame player? No. It just means to the alpha, he is the inferior to him. But it does not mean, it doesn't take away from his greatness. It just means he lacks preeminence. That's an important distinction here. Because that's what the writer of Hebrews is driving at. Greatness is one thing. Preeminence is another. You're actually describing our relationship as Protestant, as Catholics. You and me. Well, it's funny you're going to mention that because I'm going to get to that point here in just a second. Because one of the things we talked a lot about a few years ago when we went through the 500th anniversary of the Reformation is that the debate between Catholics and Protestants is really not a theological debate. It's an ecclesiastical one. It's a question of, of authority. Is the church the authority, therefore the head of the church, or is or are the scriptures the authority? Because the theological disagreements we're going to have are going to stem from the answer to that question, right? Okay? 
If I believe that the church with the, with the head of the church is the ultimate authority, I'm going to have different views on certain sacraments and traditions, right? Yeah. If I believe the scriptures alone, though, are that authority, I'm going to carry another view. So before we even get to that theological problem, we have to settle the ecclesiastical one. Who's in charge right now? What's the authority figure, right? right. That's going to come into play in this conversation, okay? So it's funny that you hmm. could see that this was heading towards a similar All discussion. Right. All right. Up. All right. So it's not that reverting to ritualistic practices. Okay. It, it, the problem is why would you, the, the argument the writer of Hebrews is making is you need those, those, those sacrifices, all of those that you did before Christ, if you did them out of worship mattered and, and you fulfilled the law, that was a good thing. But the problem is you can't ultimately fulfill the law. You can't do it. That's why Christ did it for you. So you're not you're no longer practicing animal sacrifice not because you do not you no longer require remission for your sins. You always will. Always will. But because Christ has already paid that penalty. He is the remission. That's the difference, okay? It's not that those things are bad, it's that he is preeminent. Why settle for a, a, an, un, an unblemished lamb when you can have the lamb slain before the entire foundation of the world? Meaning that this is a false choice. You're being told by your detractors that the choice is I have to give up being Jewish to follow the Jewish Messiah. And, that, and the writer of Hebrews says that's a false choice. In fact, Christ himself says he was adamant. He was attacked, by the way. On these grounds too. Well, you're here, new covenant. You're here. You're you're removing our traditions and our customs. And he, he responded by, not even for all of eternity will one stroke of a pen, one word of the law of God, okay, will it pass away? Not one. He wasn't here to replace anything. He was here to fulfill it. What was his final? What were his final words at the cross? It is finished, or maybe a more accurate translation could be, it is accomplished. What was finished? What was accomplished? The wrath of God for the violation of his law, which was revealed primarily through whom? First to Abraham and then, and then codified through whom? Moses, okay? The Jewish patriarchs. That's revelation. And God chose the Jewish people to reveal himself through first. That remains revelation. That law is still in effect. If you break it, it will break you. It's just that now we have eternal remittance of our sins assured through Christ. That's the difference, okay? That what was accomplished was the wrath of God. What was finished was not the law, was not finished. The wrath for breaking it was. That was finished. And again, it goes back to, this is important to understand, this is an exclusively Jewish argument. Jews are arguing with other Jews about whether or not this Jesus of Nazareth, this Yeshua guy, whether he's the Messiah. Therefore, this is more a debate, I wrote my essay question, over ecclesiastical authority than mere theology. Here's why. Because both sides agreed there was one God. We both agree on this, correct? Correct. We both agree there is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We both agree on this, correct? Correct. Correct. We both agree that, and that, that Father's God's name is Jehovah. We both agree on this, right? Yes. The Son's name is Christ, 
right? Yes. We both agree, all right? Do we both agree that the Holy Spirit is the intercessor within that Trinity on our behalf, correct? Yes. Working out the will of God, living his will through us as believers, right? We yes. both agree. We both agree everything in the Old and New Testament is divine revelation. We both agree on this, yes. right? Right, so those are some pretty fundamental agreements, aren't they? Absolutely. Actually, we, we agree on basically all of the most important things in the universe, except for one of them, which is by which authority are those things determined? That's the, that's the disagreement we have. You believe Rome is an authority or the church is an authority, right? Correct. I believe, or the ultimate authority, not in place of Christ, meaning on earth, okay? I'm not buying into that. I'm not, I'm not giving you a Protestant talking point, but on earth that the, the lead authority for us as believers in determining these issues and disagreements and distinctions begins with the church, right? Yes, and that, okay. the, and that, that is that, a three-legged stool. It doesn't include stool. the Bible and those sorts of things. It does, but that the church ultimately is what sits at the head of the table, right? Yes, properly defined. Properly defined. As the Catholic and Church And I would say the same it, thing yeah. as Sola Scriptura. Well, Steve, I believe in the Bible, and um, I, I, um, I'm a drug dealer. No, you don't. <laughs> All right? right. As, so as proper, as rightly, I'll, I'll, I'll use it this way. As properly defined, you'll say for the church, as rightly divided, I will say for Sola Scriptura, sure. that sits at the head of the table. All of the disagreements that you and I have stem from who gets to sit at the head of the table. Because all the other fundamentals we agree on. Same thing's happening here. They agree on every other fundamental except one. And it's really a question of authority, okay? They both agree the Torah is revelation. They both agree his name, God's name is Jehovah. They both agree that there is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. They all, they all agree on this. The question comes down to whether Jesus the Christ was the Christ and thus had the power to declare a new covenant a new church, a new revelation. Did he have that power or not? If you believed he rose again to prove so, you had one answer. And if you did not, you had another. And writing to Hebrew Christians, the author is confronting what is both a unique individual challenge for those believers, those Jewish believers, but it's also a challenge that has existed throughout the formation or movement of a church that made its way through diverse cultures and religious alternatives this entire time. In other words, the temptation of Hebrew Christians that they felt when their spiritual growth was stymied or they faced persecution, as they often did from their own families, the temptation they felt to return to their own ways, their old ways, was not unique to them. For example, in Corinthians, we talked about that several weeks ago, Paul is addressing a pagan community's attempt to, to, do we go back to our old ways? Which old ways do we still use? Which ones are okay? Which ones are not? That, that's, you take on it, we just had a conversation with, with Dave Rubin about identity politics. You violate the identity politic. In any scenario, you're going to struggle with how much of that old identity still matters, is still relevant particularly because most of your friends and family are probably going to come from which your old identity or your new one, your old one. But the way this shared temptation manifested itself among the Hebrew Christians was uniquely individual to them because what they were debating wasn't returning to merely their old ways, but they were debating divine revelation, albeit revelation that Christ as Messiah had fulfilled in their view. So, there's actually truth in their temptation. 
some butch cut uh, pagan with five rings in her nose that comes down from the temple of Jupiter down the street in Corinth and says, hey, I'm, uh, you know, uh, we're, I've got my uh, temple prostitutes here and we're, we're, here to, we're here to do the service here at the Christian church this Sunday. You kind of know one of these things is not like the other, right? Mm-hmm. This is different though. For the Hebrew Christians, there's transcendent absolute truth and they're found amongst those that disagreed with them. They're, they're following the same God. They're, they're, they're reading the same, they're, 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 they're acknowledging the same revelation. The people that disagree with them believe in, 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 in a lot of the same absolute transcendent truth as they do. And by the way, that's truth that Christians still honor today. One of the very first heresies we had to confront in the church was the idea that there's two gods, the one in the Old and the one in the New Testament. That they weren't the same, that this isn't a consistent thread of revelation. So orthodoxy still honors, still honors the law and prophets that were sent to and from the Jewish people, still honors it as revelation today. That's, that's a hard argument. I, I would imagine it would be very difficult in a family or a community that accepted the same law and the same prophets all the way up, all the way up to this last question. You agree on everything. The old saying, the last 10% of any deal is the hardest part, right? You agree on everything except this very last question. Is Jesus of Nazareth Messiah? Because there's no agree to disagree there. There's no distinction to draw. It's pretty cut and dried. He either is or he isn't which makes accommodation very difficult amongst people in the same community, in the same customs, in the same families, becomes very difficult to achieve that. It makes it really hard not to take it personally because one group is saying, hey, you missed your moment. That's on you. And Peter literally says this at Pentecost when he goes down to Jerusalem to preach right after getting the Holy Spirit. He literally says, hey, y'all missed your moment. It's on you. And then the other side says, you fell for a, 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 a farce, another in a long line of false prophets and messiahs. How do you not take that personally on some level? If you were a Christian in a pagan community, you could, until you made it personal, you could stick with the philosophical argument. This is personal from the get-go. It's personal the whole time. Because this is not a race. It's a people tethered together by their shared religious identity. American Christians are now facing this. See, this shows from the very beginning and to this day that believers better be prepared to be well-informed contrarians. Better be prepared to do it, to be well-informed contrarians, to not need a lot of approval of who's around you. You better be prepared to think, speak, live counterculturally. Now, American Christians have not been asked to do this all that much in our nation's history because we've been blessed to live in a country that's largely inspired by our ethics and fundamentals. But I bring you glad tidings of great joy. <laughs> that's not the case anymore. <laughs> all right? So American Christians are now going to face, uh, in a post-Christian era, just as the Hebrew Christians were tempted to follow cultural custom rather than Christ, American Christians are now tempted to face this at a level they never have been before. 
You guys have a quick thought on that? Well, Aaron, you should go first if you got one, because I already chimed in, and it, I mean, it, it, it's pretty cool when we mind meld like that yes. unexpectedly. That's yep. awesome. Yeah, it's uh, the 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 debate. The debates that we think that we're having largely in our country are, are not actually the debates that we're having, mm. at least amongst the, the, the church or what what we think of the church. Uh, it's, it is amongst uh, fair-minded people with, uh, you know, acting in good faith, I should say, not just, uh, not just, the, we're, we're having a completely different set of debates than what we think we're having. I think a lot of times, um, a lot of times we think that we're just debating against or, or about uh, uh, what the actual outcome of something should be. When at the very core, we're having debates like this one, which is we'd actually agree on a whole lot more that maybe, maybe, uh, at least amongst uh, believers, we agree on a whole lot more than we actually think we do. But what we're actually debating is something a lot deeper. And just with the way human personalities work and interact, it's easy to get lost in kind of the crossfire. We'll come back with three non-political questions in a moment. Be honest, since the lockdown started, how have your weight loss goals for this year? Have they fallen by the wayside? They're calling it the quarantine 15. Well, now that the warmer weather is here, why not hit the reboot on 2020 and declare May 1, New Year's Day 2.0. That's the day that a lot of these states are beginning the reopening process, right? Hours included. Get back on track with your health and fitness goals with doctor-developed Riduzone. It's an excellent way to curb cravings for the fattening foods that derail your diet. Backed by two U.S. patents, Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. That's the naturally occurring molecule that helps you to feel full faster, burn stored fat, while reducing your calorie intake at the same time. So Riduzone can make it easier to resist those cravings that get in the way of your discipline. Riduzone, though, it's exclusively available on its website at riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. Use promo code Steve. Go there right now. Get up to 65% off your order plus free shipping. Up to 65% off your order plus free shipping when you go to riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E and use the promo code Steve. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, it is. Three non-political questions. I made them easy today out of respect and deference for you, Steve, because I've been a little bit hard on you. Well, you know I'm having a rough day, Aaron. I came in here this morning after tuning into the classic rock station yeah. on Sirius XM. I'm way in this morning only to hear U2's Mysterious Ways. And uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm having a tough time. 
Yeah. Right now. That's so understandable. I, I, I appreciate you looking out for the elderly. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank uh, you. Question number one, in your own words, what's the difference between living and existing? Um, living is fulfilling your mission, purpose, and potential, or at least being on the path to doing so. Doesn't mean you're um, immune or absolved from disappointment or difficulty on that path, but that Ultimately, you know what you're striving for and you know what the end game is, what the goal you have in mind is. Existing is, is living without any of those things. Um, it, it's, a, it's a purely materialistic transaction. Um, I, I, I live only in, in order to fulfill certain basic instincts, hunger, or lack thereof, thirst or lack thereof, etc. Um, I would say, I would say those. That's that's how I would define the difference between living and existing. I would say participating in, and ultimately understanding, the nature of the good, the true, and the beautiful. I would say uh, living is being able to say that you own a White House COVID-19 task force commemorative coin. <laughs> Existing is just being alive without one. It's a That's real, not true. It's a real thing. It's a real thing, guys. I'm, no, it's I'm not. I'm a little disturbed. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I got to give us the deets on this. What are you talking about? Yeah, the WhiteHouseGiftShop.com has a new COVID-19 world versus the unseen enemy everyday heroes, President Donald J. Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, uh, Adams, Fauci, Burks, commemorative coin. Out right now. 100 bucks. Question two. This is real. I, I see it. I'm looking at it right now. That domain name wasn't just bought by the Babylon Bee or something like that, wherever you're looking? I don't know. Is that the tackiest damn thing in the history of the U.S. presidency? That There's there's nothing more TBN. Nothing more TBN. I mean, for your love gift this month, a commemorative COVID-19 coin. I mean, uh, that, that you can sit and, and rub together mm. and to make sure um, your prayers are answered while you're at home and quarantined. Yes. I, 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 you can I sit I, and, and thank God that we're not Sweden. Yeah. I, oh. <laughs> oh, mercy. Uh, question number two. If you could have one band play at your funeral, which band would you choose and what would be their three song set list? Oh, you said this was going to be easy band at my funeral yep. and not just one song but three yep i'm gonna choose the beatles and they're gonna play let it be they're gonna play hey jude and they're gonna play revolution although it was really hard to leave back in the ussr off that list okay but i'm gonna choose the beatles and they're gonna play those three songs but i could probably do this with 10 bands i could choose the eagles right you too okay right i could do this with you too Absolutely. You know, and they're going to play where they're going to play. I should, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. They're going to play where the streets have no name. Um, one. Yeah. And they, then coming up with that third song is really hard. Uh, with the Eagles, they're going to play 
um, Hotel California, and they're going to play Already Gone. And um, again, coming up with that third song with all of the options that you have at your disposal is very difficult. But uh, this would be a fun game to play. I could come up, and it's just bands. It's not solo acts. Uh, just bands. Just bands. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could do this with Journey. I mean, I mean, we could do this with a Journey? lot of bands. Absolutely, <laughs> that, absolutely. There's a lot of great Journey songs. I could do this with the Stones. Certainly, I could do it with the Who. Although with the Who, it might be one of the easiest mega bands for me to choose because I think there's a there's a there's a set list of three songs that clearly are above everything else. All right, like you got to play Won't Get Fooled Again. Got to play Baba O'Reilly. And oh, maybe that third song's tougher than I thought. Oh, Pinball Wizard. Got to play those three. You're, okay? you're just playing great. You're not even like taking the funeral aspect of this in any way into cut. You're just like one band, three great songs. I mean. Yeah, because dude, I'm dead. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, I, I mean, if you're going to show up. <laughs> You know, so you show up and Stones' sympathy for the devil comes out and people are like, um. no, I wouldn't choose that. I mean, I'd probably go with, uh, even though this has kind of been tarnished in recent years, um, but well, their best song to me they ever did was, um, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. I think it's the best song the Stones ever did. Um, I might, Paint It Black would be on the list, but I don't know that I'd want to play that at the, I don't know, that's kind of fitting in a funeral, okay? Paint It Black, I know it's only rock and roll, but I like it, and you, and, um, you can't always get what you want. Now that's actually you want a funeral uh, set. That might be the best funeral set, right? I mean, there's 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 some certain existential meaning in, in given the event, the the uh, the occasion, right? Paint it black, and you can't always get what you want. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, Trump choosing that for his campaign music, man, is. That is that is an intergalactic level of troll. All right, that's great stuff. But uh, this is this is a this is a more difficult game to play than I thought because there's it's not so much the three songs I think as it is the band. There's a lot of bands, but if I get my choice, man, I, you got to go with the goats. So I'm going with the four guys from Liverpool. Good call. Yeah, I'd say you too, uh, boy. Um... Red Hill Mining Town, All I Want Is You. I mean, wow, I'm going a little for, Reality Bites soundtrack I'm going, reference. I'm going for less obvious than, than the, I mean, the ones that you said were. Is that uh, is, is this the first time the movie Reality Bites has been specifically invoked? In my. In, in the time you've been on this show, at least? Yeah. Well, I tangentially yeah. invoked it. You specifically yes. invoked it. Yeah. And what's a good third? Well, I, I'm the one who added uh, one before, so mm, there okay. you go. All right. Uh, I would do Pink Floyd, Comfortably Numb. Uh, that's another good one, yeah. Uh, Wish You Were Here. Yeah. And Shine On, You Crazy Time. <laughs> Classic homeschool play right there. No, but that's, I mean, that's, that, you know, absolutely, man. I'd be in on that, too. I mean, I think that's, this is a tough question. I, I, I don't think it's the songs, it's the bands. Picking who the band would be, I think, is the hard part. Uh, oh, man. That'd I do plan if interesting my, funeral. see, if... If I have any say in the matter, and that my family will respect, I plan on doing like pulling the family aside and say, "I want you to pull off these yo moments for me, where you just make people like all all the right people will get it, and all the wrong people will be made sufficiently uncomfortable, and I will right. have accomplished what I want to." I mean, to me, 
this goes back to your first question. I mean, I, I understand sadness, the, the loss of somebody you care about. But ultimately, the goal is a life worth lived, right? Yeah. I mean, you, no wasted ammo, no wasted potential, no unspent, um, uh, you know, moment. And dude, I mean, I've seen a million faces and I've rocked them all. Oh, yeah. That's the, yeah. that's the goal, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the goal? I mean, and so I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't be sitting there sobbing. Dude, man, tapped out like a boss. That's what I want to hear. Sure. Right? Got it. Yeah. 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 Uh, question three. What three things, assuming you don't already have your dream house, what three things do you definitely need to have in your dream house and why? Uh, I quasi have one of them now with my man cave, but what I'd love to have the space and the resources to do if I could is to turn that into like a full fledged theater room though. All right. Um, I've got a nice home theater set up in there now, but if I could turn that into a full fledged, you, got, you know, uh, HD projector, everything, you know, a full fledged theater room, got 7.1 surround instead of 5.1. Yes. You know, cause that extra two points matters. Um, but, um, that would be number one for me would be, would be that. Um, I love three season porches or I guess you can call them four season porches if you want, depending on how you want it made. I love that too. Like I'd love to turn, have like a three season porch and you still have a nice TV and stuff out there so that if you, if you, if you wanted like get the feel of fall, like being at a game, you just like, you sit out there on the three season porch with the leaves falling in the cool air. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I could go for that. That would be the next thing would be the three season porch. Um, and then, and then like a game room, like a lot with a lot of the old arcade games. I'm such a guy. There's like, do you need a bathroom? <laughs> do you need a toilet? <laughs> what about the kitchen tile? Uh, but like a game room with the old games, the old arcade stand-up games, you know, um, a pool table. Those would be the three things for me. Pool, uh, fire pit. I'd love to have a pool. It's the part-time job that it entails that I'm not necessarily a fan of, but yeah, I'd love to have one. Pool, fire pit, and the wh whatever room is number one on my wife's room list master bath bedroom kitchen whatever and that uh well, okay now I've, I've i've been the domestic i've been domestically juked here all right yeah i thought it was the question was meant specifically for me yeah it okay. was right. <laughs> why did you think that <laughs> because you're you <laughs> I'll allow it. Ouch. Tough but fair. I'll allow it. Yes. Uh, I would have a pool, a large yard, and uh, an actual theater room. Uh, kind of along the lines of what Steve was talking about with an actual theater quality, theater grade projection uh, machine in there. You know, with, even with tiered seating, that that would be cool. I just want a theater, I guess is what I'm I'm talking about. A full theater myself yeah. that, that would be fine with me uh the backyard is important is important though 
I mean, if I could have a backyard that was like adjacent to some woods or wooded area, that would be even better. You can go hunting out there, you know. You have kids, you can send them out there and just run around, get lost, and come back for for supper. That's that's basically what I did uh, growing up. So that was that was cool. But yeah, a, a large backyard is probably the most important thing. I don't mind mowing either. Mowing's fun. It can be. There's like it, the, I. Uh, I don't mind it, and I'm sick of it at the same time. Like, when we get to, like, August, I'll be sick of it. Like, right now, I'm like, yeah, I can listen to some podcasts and get out in the oh, sun. Oh, even right now, like, yeah. something to yeah. attack and do in all this? I mean, that- we, we get to August and stuff, though, and I'm going to be like, yeah, this is the summer I'm going to teach Noah how to mow. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he needs, my wife yes. even said to me, like, to, well, because like, I looked, we were on our walk today, and I said, it's pretty, we're, like, it's going to be an every three-day thing here for a while, just because of the, August, it slows down at least a mm-hmm. little bit. She says, well, why don't you tell one of the girls, I wasn't complaining about it, and she said, no, 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 that's, that's, I'm not having the daughters know, but no, yeah, it's time yeah. for Noah to be strapped and to that thing. Some, you know? yeah. He has done some mowing, we're just, it's early in the season, and I've become a, not, not full bore, but I've, I'm a bit of a lawn snob, right? <laughs> <laughs> Todd, again, reacts with little to no surprise um but uh and so you know these are the formative moments that determine what august looks like is that what you said to noah and he knows what that means like (laughs) (laughs) so it's a little early all right all right we gotta we gotta lay the foundation right now but as we once that's laid we get later into the summer i'll let him do and certainly the backyard i don't really i mean i i keep up with it but not nearly as much as the front so if he if he if he gets squiggly wiggly back there at the lawnmower in the back i don't care as much the so you are the you are the Trump White House lawnmower boy gif out there, <laughs> just yelling. There, catty corner for General me. General Flynn was framed. Okay. I, well, it turns out that he was. He was. Yeah. Uh, I, I I just I'm sorry. I can't do anything half-assed. Even if I even if I just try to do it to relax, I can't. But what are the parameters? I cannot relax of this? unless its parameters yeah, are. The, is this the best I think I can absolutely do? No, I know, but for lawn mowing, what that's, are the, the, par- that's the parameters. Can I do any better than this? But I know, but practically, do you have a weed eater? What, what is it? Huh? Do you have a weed eater? When I well, I actually I have a I have a professional service that does um, some of the initial spraying and stuff for me. Oh, okay, okay. okay. I was uh, going to say if you have a professional come in and do the weed eating, I'm like no. But I I am just I'm not wired to half-ass anything. If 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 I don't think. Even if I try to just chill out, I have to chill out at like maximum potential. Okay. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love your mania. It's so great. <laughs> and that's John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.